Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, summer is heating up. Yeah, it's it's not even summer yet, is it? It's not really summer. That's right. Like the twenty first. That's after Memorial Day, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this Doesn't, is couldn't tell it by the temperatures. No, it's a scorcher, you know. And and speaking of things heating up, the housing market is hot too. Mm-hmm. You notice that? Yeah, a lot of people selling, buying, you know. Exactly, and that's why we're going to start off talking about the nine things to fix your house to sell it fast. You know, we are in a hot housing market. You can sell your house fast. But there's some things you have to fix. There's some things that you may not pay attention to. You may not notice, quite frankly. But we have an article here from the experts on uh, what it takes to sell your house really, really fast. And so, and top dollar. I and mean, top dollar, yeah. exactly. So it definitely relates to your finances. Very important topic. Yeah, and May is the time of year that uh, folks are graduating uh, high school. You know, I yep. guess in the next you know couple of days here in uh, in the local community. So uh, uh, the Graduate Survival Guide, this comes from the Ramsey, Ramsey Organization, and, and uh, we're going to talk about five financial tips for your high school graduate. And quite frankly, we can use this for anybody, most Absolutely. of them. Absolutely. <laughs> they apply to everybody. <laughs> they yeah. really do. So that would be a good topic. Yeah, great, great ideas. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 24 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 27 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show or our podcast up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, go check out our website. We have a lot of uh, tools out there. We have the podcast link that you can go listen to the podcast. Uh, and that's been trending up. Josh just sent us some some data and some statistics, and so more and more people are out there listening. So if you have friends or family, certainly introduce them uh, to the podcast. Great way to uh, do some education with the people that you love. And uh, we have a Facebook uh, page as well. We do some posts on there and also a Twitter handle, which is MoneyMD. Yeah, absolutely. And do um, check us out on our website. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at MoneyMD. Net. Well, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. This comes from the Department of Labor. And Steve, I mean, we hear about the economy doing well, but this kind of puts it in perspective. As of the end of March of 2019, there were 6.2 million unemployed Americans, which is still a lot, right? I right. Mean, it certainly Sounds impacted like folks. It. Yeah. Um, and uh, there are, but there are 7.5 million job openings. Huh. So, you know, some of those folks maybe didn't have the right skills, uh, skill set or experience for those job openings. But if you go all the way back to 2009, there were 14.6 million unemployed and only 2.1 million job openings. So the wow. economy is really, it's on, it's on fire. It's doing very, very well. Yeah. So 10 years ago, there were more than double the number of unemployed and there were less than a third of the number of job openings. Yeah, so quite a different picture. That's quite a different picture. Yeah, it is a very tight labor market, you know. So if you're thinking about changing jobs, wow, that mountain might be the time to mm-hmm. take a look. Of course, that doesn't implot our, our employees. <laughs> that's right. No, absolutely not. They all love us, though. That's right. right. They, they, right. We have a good time. <laughs> Interesting fact of the week. All right, that leads us up to our first topic here, and that is nine things to fix your nine things to fix to sell your house fast. And this is based on an article out of Bottom Line Personal, Will Johnson. And uh, but John, you know, I've run across a lot of clients recently that are planning to sell their house this mm-hmm. summer mm-hmm. that are kind of looking at that. And um, 
you know, we're not real estate agents, but we do see a lot of clients all the time that are asking about advice about selling a home and, you know, buying a new home at the same time and, and kind of how to make those transactions go smoothly. And one of the keys to that is to sell your existing home fast um, and to get a good price for it, of course. Um, but there are some things, you know, that will significantly hurt your chances of selling it fast. You can't always guess what those might be that will turn off a potential buyer. Um, so you should you should make sure you tackle the ones that these more experienced real estate experts point to time after time. And in many cases, you can add thousands of dollars to the selling price by resolving some potential issues, you know, before they become a, a real issue when you're trying to sell it. And a lot of times you don't have to spend much money and not even a lot of time to fix some of these things. They're just things you might not think about. So here are some of the potential um, home buyer hates, uh, as they call them, um, that can be remedied at a very reasonable cr- pr- price, in some cases for free. Mm-hmm. And the first one here, though, is popcorn ceilings. <laughs> it's been yeah. a while since I've seen those. You mm-hmm. know, I think most people have replaced those in their houses, but... You know, sometimes people just don't pay attention to it, you know, and those were really popular back in the the 50s through the 70s. Um, But now they make a home look very old and outdated, as you might expect. So what do you do? So if you have those popcorn ceilings, which are kind of the blown in ceilings that have, you know, the little little pieces that will fall off sometimes if you scrape them. um, You know, what they say you can do is you can, uh, well, of course, you can scrape them down. And you can you can just uh, stipple over them, mm-hmm. um, which is one way to do it. However, if it's asbestos or lead or something like that that doesn't scrape down very easily or, or you know can be hazardous, uh, then what you can do is you can put a new layer of ceiling grade gypsum board on top of it. Um, just screw it up there, and then uh, you can you know seal it and stipple over it. Um, they say it's lighter than regular gypsum board and it costs maybe $2 to $2.5 per square foot to install that. <clears throat> it eliminates the concern about the asbestos and all that kind of stuff. So lowers your ceiling height by about a half inch. Um, not enough to concern most people. Um, but you know, if that's, if this, if you, if you can scrape it down, then yeah, shoot. Depends a, on how much area. Yeah. Flat shovel or something. You could scrape this stuff off and, and re-stipple it. You know, yeah. it's, it's pretty inexpensive. Popcorn to get that done. Popcorn ceiling. So get rid of those. That's yep. one important one. Yeah, another one here, which uh, is a pretty easy one, but it's important, is insufficient storage. So if you have small closets and cupboards, uh, that can be a major turnoff for home shoppers and, uh, and a difficult problem to correct. But you can minimize the effect of it by just removing stuff from your cramped closet or cupboards. I mean, if you, you, know, if you can take things out um, and create enough room between the garments, in your closet, um, then it'll appear that they're bigger than what they are. So, you know, maybe you store excess items in a rental storage unit or um, you get the, you know, stacking plastic bins in the garage or basement and you kind of put them away, but it's just creating the, um, the, the feel that you have more space than you really do. Yeah. I mean, real estate agents will tell you when you're selling your house to take out about half of your stuff. Yeah. Right. You know, and I don't know where you put all that stuff, but under the bed, <laughs> under the bed, <laughs> yeah, taking out about half your stuff to make the house feel more airy and is is a great idea, and, and certainly closets would be a key area of that, wouldn't it? So, uh, and then there's messy laundry rooms, garages, and basements. No, we don't um, have any of that. No, right? no, no, no. You sure you wouldn't have that? 
But yeah, most home sellers uh, know that they should clean and declutter before their homes are shown. But, you know, some don't realize that cleaning for buyers is different from cleaning for, for house guests, right? I mean, unlike guests, buyers look everywhere and they make judgments accordingly. So if any part of the home is messy, cluttered, or dirty, you know, the whole home will seem less appealing and it'll seem smaller, like mm-hmm. you just pointed out. So what do you do? So if there's piles of laundry in the laundry room, um, when your real estate agent comes <clears throat> calling uh, to arrange a quick showing, you know, toss the laundry in the washer or the dryer, they say, you know, get it out of there. Just hide it, basically. <laughs> you know, put the pots in the oven, right? <laughs> My uh, anyway, I won't tell that story. But somebody I know used to hide their used to put their pots in the oven. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then if you turn the oven on the preheated, you had a bunch of pots in there heating up. So that's when a good thing to do. So, but if the washer and dryer are full, you know, toss it in your car, you know, and take it with you. They say, get you know, it out of there. Get it out of there. Just do whatever you got to put it in the attic. You know, if your garage or your basement's cluttered, you know, pack up the clutter into matching stackable storage bins, rent a storage locker, stash the clutter here or there. Um, I'd yeah. have a garage sale. That would be a good idea. You need some time for that, though. That'll take yeah, some time. Yeah, that's true. But if your cupboards or your closets are cluttered, you know, buy matching baskets or bin, stow the mess uh, inside these. Um, and you know, these attractive bins can be found for like 10 bucks or less. They're pretty cheap. So, Mm -hmm. but make storage spaces seem organized. Um, even if they aren't, you know, (laughs) just by putting the stuff in bins in those storage spaces, it makes it look better. Sure. Another one here is insufficient light. I mean, you want to make sure that you don't have dark shadowy areas. Um, you know, shadows can make a room or hallway appear dirty as well. So, you know, open up your window blinds, curtain shades, um, you know, if, if they're still dark uh, or dim, you know, areas, increase the bulb wattage, maybe mm-hmm. add lamps, go to, you know, Target Home Depot, get some, you know, attractive freestanding lamps, uh, make sure that all the bulbs are working in the, in the house. Um, so just make sure it's light, right? I mean, you want to make sure you sell it. If you have a fan light, you turn that on. I mean, it's, these are, some of these are pretty standard. Some of them pretty, are really good, but pretty obvious stuff. Yeah. Some of it, some of it's not though. You know, yeah, dark or boldly colored paint on interior walls. You know, even though uh, distinctive or dark color walls have become trendy, um, they turn off a lot of buyers. Um, So any brash colors inevitably are not the ones that many buyers would have picked. You know, and they make it hard for them to imagine putting themselves in your home. So your colors also might not work with their furniture. Um, Dark walls can make rooms feel smaller, less inviting. So what you do is you apply a coat of primer, sealer over the dark, boldly colored paint, and then repaint it a neutral color, such as a beige or an off-white. Um, you know, primer, sealer is especially important when you even, even, you even might need more than one coat, you know, to cover, you know, dark paint. Um, there's no need to buy an expensive primer or paint, however, you know, primer costs about $15 a gallon, um, paint costs less than $25 a gallon, um, or less that should do the job. They're saying, uh, if you don't want to do this job yourself, professional painters would charge, you know, $400, $800, um, or so for the average 10 to 12 foot room, uh, not including the cost of the paint. So 48 gallons of primer, two to four gallons of paint should do the job. So, 
Yeah, repaint, you know, brightly colored or, mm-hmm. or dark colored areas. Make it clean. Like that, make it look clean. New coat of paint will do wonders. So, uh, but hey, it's easy to do it yourself. It's just time consuming, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't, if you get the right color paint and it matches, you don't even have to trim it out. Yeah. You just touch up the walls, you know, with, uh, with fresh paint if it's not, or, you know, something you got to totally cover up. And then wallpaper, you know, many types of wallpaper have been falling out of fashion and can make a home seem very out of date. Um, There are exceptions. Interior designers sometimes hang stylish new wallpaper prints in bathrooms, dining rooms, for example, or uh, period correct wallpaper might be appropriate for a historic home. But, you know, as a rule of thumb, wallpaper will be a turnoff for most buyers. So what you do is, unless your wallpaper was selected by an interior designer within the past decade, um, or it was selected to match the home's history, strip it away, paint the walls instead. If you don't want to remove the wallpaper yourself, can be tricky. You know, pay an expert to do it. Cost around a dollar per square foot for wallpaper removal. Yeah, another one here on the list: uh, dated or dingy bathrooms. You, uh, you know, it's no secret that an unappealing bathroom it can greatly detract from a property's appeal. Um, what many sellers don't realize is they can downplay this problem without renovating the bathroom. And um, what they recommend to do is buy a big, you know, set of fluffy, bright white towels. Don't use them; just hang them in the bathroom. Uh, you know, before showing and uh, roll some smaller white hand towels and stack these rolls in the bathroom as well. Also hang a new bright white shower curtain. So it's going to make the bathroom feel cleaner, fresher, more welcoming. It's going to be about a hundred bucks for all that stuff, but it's pretty simple. Uh, to, it kind of, it takes a, your eyes away from the bathroom and it yeah. looks, you know, you see that bright white. Freshens it up, yep. you know, and really nice new towels always get your attention. At least it does me when I yeah. walk into a bathroom. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's great. And uh, you also can bleach the stained grout, um, repaint peeling trim, replace falling, failing caulk, you know, update the faucets, you know, or kind of the next item on the list. And that is gold faucets and fixtures and crystal faucet handles. Glitzy. Glitzy, you're (laughs) right. These glitzy fixtures have gone way out of style, unfortunately. So they say here. And, uh, you know, now they make kitchens, bathrooms seem dated. So what you do is you replace them with a brush nickel faucets. Um, It's a classic timeless finish, brush nickel. Uh, You can find very nice looking kitchen faucets at home centers for around $100, $200. And, um, you know, bathroom uh, faucets for $50 to $100. Professional installation is going to cost typically $100, $200 per faucet. That can vary. Um, so brush nickel. You also see a lot of this uh, oil rub bronze mm-hmm. nowadays, mm-hmm. too. Yep, yep. Either one of those would make it look a lot more updated. But, yeah, hardware is a big deal, I think, for making a house look up to date. Yeah, another uh, item here on the list is a uh, you know pets in the house. I mean, two issues here. It creates problems when the dogs or cats are in the house when it's shown. Some people are allergic to animals. Some people just don't like animals, you know, period. And also you also potentially have, um, you know, the smell of animals that you have to be Mm -hmm. careful. So what to do? I mean, you know, if you have, um, if you can board the pet, uh, in a kennel, if you know that someone's going to be coming by to see the house, maybe you have someone, uh, day, daycare sit that (laughs) the dog, you drop them off somewhere Mm -hmm. or maybe just go out and walk them. So you got to be sensitive to the pet. Not everybody loves Fido like you do. Yeah, true. And I'd say cleaning the floors, you know, or shampooing the carpet yeah, or something right. before you show it, too, would take that smell away. So I think that's that would be very important to do as well. So that's a good idea. 
So, uh, and when to unconvert a room, you know, that bathroom, that uh, the bedroom turned out to be a workshop or den or a garage turned into a bathroom uh, might suit your needs, but it probably doesn't suit the needs of potential home buyers. So converted rooms often feel out of place unless they were converted by a skilled remodeler. Um, that made them feel professional. They may feel unprofessionally done. So what you do is you usually convert these rooms back to their original purpose before putting your home in the market. Cost can vary, depends on what you've done to the home. Um, But, you know, if you have a converted garage into a living space, then, you know, you don't want to undo that, of course, because it's a finished space now. But, uh, you know, if you have a a bedroom that was converted into an office, for example, you, you might want to reconvert that back to a bedroom. You probably do because, you know, the more bedrooms tend to, tend to make a house sale and tend to make it more appealing, mm-hmm. um, makes it seem like it's a bigger house. So anyway, just some quick things you can do to spruce up your house for that for that sale, make it go quicker, and also get a better price. Um but that leads us up here to our question of the week. This question has to do with the tariffs. Um, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's been a little bit of talk about tariffs in the news. Ouch. It just seems to never go away. It's the gift that it keeps giving, isn't it? Yeah, boy, I tell you, it's uh, it will be resolved. Um, so so be patient, and the market's probably going to pop when it's resolved more than likely. Yeah, um, yeah, I hope. But the question is, um, you know, when the United States imposes a 25% tariff on an imported good from China, like a television or a laptop, um, you know, who, who pays for that? Um, and the tariff is actually paid by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Service. And it's, um, it's by an American-based broker who basically represents the, the U.S. retailer. Hmm. So the Chinese government's not paying for it. What happens is, is they're going to increase the price and the consumer is going to pay for it, which means they That's may right. not be buying it. Yeah, if you them. want to know who pays for it, look in the mirror. Yeah, it's it's, it's you. It, it is it is <laughs> it is us. But then that comes back to when you start to do the shopping. You know, if you have a twenty five percent tariff on a Chinese good, you may go buy it from a different vendor because it's cheaper. Yeah, and that's the key. You know, I mean, if there is another source for that for that good, then. Uh, you know, we start buying it from every source, and it mm-hmm. may be locally here, so it may help our own economy. Or it could be from a different um, country. could be from a different country, so nobody may pay it. You know, we just stop buying it from China, you know. But, um, but yes, yeah, somebody's going to pay it. If you buy it, then it's a tax, and it, it, it's going to come right out of the pockets of the folks that are buying those goods and services. But good question, um, but hopefully we'll get these trade war wound down yes. here in the near future. Yes. we need to <laughs> get not, it resolved. Yeah, no doubt. And that leads up here to our next topic is, and that's the Graduate Survival Guide um, to identify, helps identify costly college mistakes. Yeah, it's from, uh, it's from the Ramsey organization. They actually have a survival guide, um, you know, that uh, is aimed at, at uh, high school graduates going into college. And it's not your typical how-to guide. You'll find um, you know, a lot of uh, bold language, um, some real-life college stories from some of the Ramsey personalities. There's a gentleman named Anthony O'Neill um, who's uh, working for them, and then Rachel Cruz, who happens to be Dave's daughter, and uh, she's very passionate about, you know, college and so forth. And, um, you know, Anthony O'Neill is interesting. He was uh, um, uh, in college and he signed up for a credit card, and within six months, he was about $25,000 into debt. Wow. Um, yeah, so by the time he was 19, he had lost his scholarship for college. He got kicked out of school, and he was living out of his car. 
Oh man, so that's yeah. a bad turn. Yeah, events. But you know, he hit rock bottom. He knew it was time for a change, and um, since then, he's Anthony has basically dedicated his life's work to helping you know students make good decisions with their money and relationships and education. So he and and uh, Rachel have teamed up. And uh, they're out there on the circuit talking a lot to uh, high school students and so forth about his mistakes. And that's how Dave Ramsey kind of came about. Dave went bankrupt and so forth. But we get, we have five financial tips here yeah. uh, for financial or for high school graduates. Yeah, these are going to be good. But I find back to his story, I find it fascinating that they would loan money to a college kid mm. Who obviously doesn't have a full time job, loaning twenty five thousand dollars. I yeah. mean, they expected to get you know, paid back. They expected like, to get paid back. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy what these credit card companies will do. The risk they will take because they see such a fresh market out there to you know go and entice you know college graduates, mm-hmm. you know, or actually college kids and not even graduates yet to uh, to go and and run up a bunch of money on their credit cards. So it's. Kind of sad. But anyway, yeah, I mean, these are five tips for high school graduates. Um, You know, and the first step, you know, to succeeding in college is to learn how to make good money decisions. And one financial mistake as a college freshman can hurt your wallet for years, can really cripple you getting out of college and getting your start in life. So you want to avoid, you know, these mistakes that can really um, set you back. As you're entering, you know, the working world. And uh, so, yeah, so we got five great mistakes here to avoid. Yeah, the first one is student loans. Um, A lot of folks think you can't go to college without a student loan, and that's not true. It's hard, but it can be done. The outstanding student loan debt in America is about $1.4 trillion. Um, That's a huge number. Yeah, yeah, it really is. A student loan debt per graduate is about $37,000. And the bottom line here is simple. Paying back student loans always takes longer than you think, and it costs more than you want to spend. So students should avoid them really at all costs. I mean, don't don't you wish someone had shared some of that insight um, when you were, you know, in high school? And that's what the Graduate Survival Guide does. It gives you some practical advice. Um, so some of the things that we talk to, to parents and students about, Steve, is, you know, take AP courses if you can. Um, right, that's absolutely. A, that's an option. There's something called CLEP. It's college-level exam preparation, uh, very inexpensive. You can take those online, um, dual enrollment at a local school while you're in high school. Um, Go local for school, right? We've got some good universities around here. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Work. Get an internship. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. There are ways, and the other key thing here, Steve, is picking a major um, that fits you. And we have a really good link on our website. So go check it out, moneymd.net. This link ha- has um, the the majors and it shows the unemployment rate. And I'm using an example. Philosophy has an unemployment rate of 6.2%. It's one of the higher Pretty degrees. High, yeah. And it has an underemployment rate of over 50%, which means people oh are getting goodness. a degree and they're not even working in the field. They're not working in the field. That's terrible. And then 57% of people that work in that in that industry, if you will, have graduate degrees. So if you get an undergrad, you might as well plan on getting it's a useless. grad degree. Yeah, it can be useless. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've seen that. And that's another, you know, forty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars in student loan debt. So make sure as you go into these, you know, majors, uh, you understand what it looks like on the other side of it. Because I think that's part of the problem is we're selling you know, these degrees to people and they don't understand, hey, I'm going to have a hundred grand of student loan debt making $35,000. That does not add up. No, I've always said, I mean, many times on the show, well, you got to get an effective education, you know, meaning that you have to have a degree that you know you can get a job in 
and it warrants the amount of money you're spending for that education. Um, so it's a good paying job. And so, you know, it's great to get a degree in something you're interested in, you're passionate about. But, you know, there are also hobbies that are good for mm-hmm. things you're yeah. passionate about, right? And, and we do need people going into philosophy, don't get me wrong, but there's, there's a limited number of opportunities there. Yeah, so you really got to, that's got to be a calculated decision. You just got to understand, you know, you can't get out of college with, you know, $50,000 of student loan debt if you're only going to be making $30,000. Mm-hmm. So, you and, know, you got you to gotta make some smart choices. Go local, like we've talked about. And there's a lot of things you can do to to really limit that. Um, but, you know, the next one here, though, John, is to avoid credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Um, avoid credit cards. Despite what, you know, the card company says, they often tell new campus arrivals, you know, that there's no such thing as, you know, they say, oh, you got free pizza, you got a free T-shirt, you know, they give you free stuff if you open their credit card. Don't fall for that. There's no such thing as, as a free lunch, so to speak. You know, for for hungry college grads, you know, the offer of something free in exchange for a college uh, credit card application can be enticing, but they're not worth signing up for a debt trap. You know, the Graduate uh, Survival Guide, they share facts about the credit cards here as well, um, and they dispel the myth of, you know, the, the free gift. Uh, so avoid credit cards like the plague when you get to college. Yeah, another one here is just make smart financial choices. Every young person, um, especially every college student, is going to have to learn this. Um, you know, what you do now impacts your tomorrow. So that's why it's important that we give the tools uh, for folks to make smart choices. Um, this Graduate Survival Guide gives some information and, and inspiration. And for those of folks in, in high school, I mean, Dave Ramsey has a curriculum. It's called Foundations in Personal Finance. It's being taught in some of the schools in the area. I mean, if you have an opportunity for your, your child to go through one of those courses in high school, take the course. I mean, it's good information. Yeah, absolutely. And the next one here on the list is to make a budget. Um, you know, I mean, this this survival guide helps with that, can walk you through the steps you need to make a budget each month. There's lots of tools out there for that, like mint.com, mm-hmm. where you can make a budget. Um, but it doesn't take long for a college freshman to realize they need a detailed plan for all their classes are taken and their deadlines and their study sessions. Uh, but far too many students have failed to make a similar plan for their spending and for their money. Um, so it's really important that you make a budget. You know where your money's going. Start from the very beginning uh, figuring that out. And for college, it's really important as well because you have a limited amount of money, you know, mm-hmm. so you really got to make it last and you can't let the debt snowball in college. So, um, yeah, it'll, you know, it'll catch up with you. It will. So have a good budget. Yeah. And the final thing here is, is start saving money now. Yeah. That, that's even in college. You know, many of tomorrow's millionaires are in college today. And, um, you know, when they hit seven figures and savings, it's probably not going to be because they won the lottery. It's going to be because they, you know, they had a process. And, and that's where the, the graduate survival guide, it teaches students a reason they need to make saving a priority. And, and yes, in college, you can save money and, you know, get that emergency fund built up. And uh, there are ways to invest as well when you're working out there in college. So it just uh, takes a little bit of planning, a little bit of foresight, um, but it, it can be done. We see people doing it. Absolutely. All right. Great topic. And that leads up to our final thing here. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. Social Security, um, Steve, as we both know, is uh, it seems very simple on the surface, but it is very complicated. A lot of different rules. Um, It's really dependent on your specific situation. So the prescription is, is when you are getting ready to retire, and that may be a year to two years out, 
go visit the Social Security office um, and get information specifically on your situation. Um, you know, they will give you estimates, you know, based on your who you are and the amount of money that you made and your relationships, you know, if you've been married or so forth. But they can give you specific numbers, and that's important from a planning standpoint. You need to understand what your Social Security is going to look like when you do retire. Yeah, and I will also say go to ssa.gov, log on, you know, search the questions that you have, kind of do your own research because, you know, it's easy to get bad advice out there. And the Social Security office, those folks are It's kind of like talking to the IRS. You talk to two people, you might get two different answers. So you really need to have an idea of what the right answer is before you go in. And then, then, yeah, call the Social Security office or go in, um, confirm your answer with them, Make sure you get the right information. I mean, these are decisions you're making about Social Security that last your lifetime. You yeah, know? and they're irreversible. I mean, irreversible, yeah. Whether to take a spousal benefit mm-hmm. or your own benefit, delay your own benefit. I mean, you don't get you don't get second you know second chances on those decisions about when you draw Social Security once that first year has passed. So you get you got to know what you're doing, and it's a really important decision. So yeah, go on ssa.gov. Um, call the Social Security office, really research your question, make sure you get a good answer before you make those choices. So good prescription of the week. All right, well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net, or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.